Prior to beginning the discussion today, I must read the following disclosures. Equity investments are affected by market conditions. The intrinsic value of the stocks in which our portfolios invest may never be recognized by the broader market. The opinions expressed are current as of August 10th, 2021, but are subject to change. The information provided in this podcast does not provide information reasonably sufficient upon which to base an investment decision and should not be considered a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security. Portfolio holdings are subject to change. The performance of any single portfolio holding is no indication of the performance of other portfolio holdings or any other strategy or fund. Comments made on any individual company or stock is not an indication that it is currently held in a portfolio, nor is it an indication that it ever will be held in a portfolio. I thank you all for joining us for a focused discussion on the automotive industry as part of the Gabelli podcast series. This is Terry Pope, a member of GAMCO's institutional team, and with me is Brian Sponheimer, GAMCO's senior research analyst who has been following the auto industry since joining the firm in 2008. Brian is also co-portfolio manager of the $2.2 billion Gabelli Asset Fund and the $3 billion Gabelli Dividend and Income Trust. So for the next 20 minutes, I will host a conversation with Brian on today's general automotive trends, and he will share his insights from the value investing perspective. Welcome, Brian. Terry, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. So let's begin with electric vehicles, a very timely topic. Last week, President Biden signed an executive order calling on electric, fuel cell, and plug-in hybrid vehicles to account for 50% of new car and light truck sales by 2030, while also asking Congress for support on tax incentives and a network of charging stations. So is this what the industry needs for EV to become the standard of the auto industry? Well, I think, I think it's important to frame this discussion on, on the numbers that are really at stake here. So uh, in a typical year, the United States sells somewhere between 15 and 17 million vehicles. And so what President Biden is speaking to is really on the order of about 8 million vehicles per year to help transform the fleet, which is about 270 million cars and trucks in the U.S. Um, over the next several decades. And so... Um, getting to 8 million vehicles versus where we are today, which is well, well, well below 1 million, um, I think is uh, an ambitious goal. And there are several ways to, to get there. Um, the first and, and most important is for the automakers all to make compelling vehicles that provide both um, a good experience for their drivers, but also a, a value. And we can get into the affordability of, of electric vehicles um, in the next few minutes. Um, what largely bef- happened before Tesla came along was that um, consumers were incented to purchase electric vehicles through very um, generous $7,500 uh, federal incentives to buy to buy an electric vehicle. And then when uh, Tesla came along and, and with its Model S and really provided, I would say, the first uh, electric vehicle that um, both was attractive from an an aesthetics viewpoint and also a performance one, um, that really changed the game. And so we've seen this evolve with Tesla over the course of the last uh, seven or eight years. But what's what's really exciting here now is that uh, there are fast followers in the industry and the amount of new platforms that are coming out uh, both from a small electric vehicle uh, to the Ford F-150 Lightning, is going to provide consumers with the, um, the opportunity to, to purchase a vehicle that is to their liking, that suits their family, 
that suits their their work needs. So we can get there uh, as a as a country uh, with the number of vehicles that are going to be put out that should be attractive. So consumer acceptance, is price still impacting the current buy-in and adoption if some great cars are on the on the circuit? Absolutely. Um, we, we're in a bit of a unique circumstance right now because of COVID and um, because of uh, what's transpired over the course of the last uh, year as it relates to auto production, first with factories shutting down in April and May of last year, and then the chip shortage that has subsequently happened. Um, over the course of the past five months. So we're in a bit of a skewed environment as it relates to the, the price of a new car um, in the U.S., which is about $42,000 right now. Um, a new electric vehicle is still, generally speaking, well above that. You can buy a, a Tesla Model 3 uh, for about that, but the size of the Model 3 um, is really a, uh, uh, an obstacle to, to broader adoption by um by families of um, two or three kids, and, and there are plenty of those in the country. So um, you start getting into the, the fifty dollars and $60,000 range for an electric vehicle because the battery costs so much um, for a larger electric vehicle. And yes, um, so price does impact adoption. And um, as we've, we've also seen... Um, Tax incentives also matter as well, and so as states have, um, in in some cases, rolled off uh, their own tax incentives. Georgia being an example, um, electric vehicles sales have, have dropped precipitously um, in in areas um, like that. So then, what factors could lead to lower pricing? Cheaper raw materials, quicker to make. Uh, I think there are several avenues to make electric vehicles more affordable. One uh, is just simply producing more of them. You gain uh, economies of scale from a, from a production standpoint. Two, uh, I think as we move further along with battery technology, um, reducing the size of the battery uh, makes the vehicles more affordable. So being able to up what you get out of the battery, uh, I think is going to be uh, another factor there uh, as well that, that plays a role. And then um, honestly, uh, it's, it's the used vehicle market is going to play a role here um, as you start to see the purchase of um, electric vehicles from a, a used perspective and you see um, the, the amount of consumers that are willing to, to, purchase, um, to purchase used, um, those may become adopters of new. And this, this won't factor into affordability, but it will bring a new generation of potential used vehicle buyers, so that, that will certainly help there. But, for right now, we are in a situation where um, the price, the, the cost of producing a vehicle, whether it is an internal combustion engine vehicle, a hybrid, or a battery electric vehicle, um, is reaching all-time highs because input costs have risen so much. So, so it is a, a considerable issue and one that needs to um, really uh, be worked through over the course of the next, the next decade. But the battery is the, is the number one area of, of cost control there. So speaking of that, uh, there's much talk of hydrogen fuel cell for electric vehicles. So two questions. One is, is this the same fuel used for U.S. space shuttles? Then also, what are the benefits for electric vehicles? Uh, so <laughs> it's, um, it, it is not the, the, the pure oxygen that gets used um, for, um, uh, uh, for, for rockets. Um, 
and fuel cell is an interesting technology and one that's been around for uh, about 20 years, but not one that has been, to this point, been able to be used for uh, uh, for mass production of, of vehicles. Uh, Toyota, in particular, has been a uh, developer of fuel cell technology. And basically, what happens in a fuel cell um, electric vehicle is that, um, similar to a battery electric vehicle, electricity is generated to power the wheels, but um, the, the electricity is generated from hydrogen and oxygen. Um, the exhaust is nothing but water, and so the principle here is that hydrogen comes in one side of the fuel cell, air in the other. Um, when the hydrogen passes, fuel, passes through the fuel cell, um, and it induces a positive and a negative charge that generates electrical current. Um, it then meets the air and produces the water that comes out. And so it is theoretically a very clean technology. Um, it is one that um, hydrogen is, is, first of all, it's prevalent and it's cheap, but you can also refuel a vehicle uh, that has a hydrogen tank considerably faster than you can through fast charging of an electric vehicle. And we can go back and talk about EVs. Um, charging is a major, uh, major sticking point as well there. Um, so that all sounds great. The problem is fuel cell vehicles are incredibly expensive uh, to develop right now. Also, because consumer adoption, at least um, the thought process of having a hydrogen bomb uh, <laughs> in the back of your car uh, is, uh, is something that's going to be uh, an issue for, uh, for consumers. Um, not that that would be a, an actual um, hypothetical catastrophe that would occur, um, but everyone has seen the picture of the Hindenburg, and that will be in people's <laughs> minds um, before producing uh, uh, producing a vehicle. The storage of hydrogen is also expensive. Um, you know, you need liquid. Uh, you, you you need certain cooling mechanisms that would need to be installed versus just having a, an AC DC fast charger for. Um, uh, for a, a, an electric vehicle. So it is, it is a promising technology, one that could really um, have some major benefits the, for the commercial trucking market um, and one that we're watching as, as investors for sure. So you spoke earlier about used cars, used electric vehicles. Uh, what changes are you seeing for dealers and aftermarket retailers as EVs become a larger part of the vehicle park in the U.S.? So this is going to be a really interesting next decade for the for the industry um, dealers are typically the uh, first line of offense and defense for their partner manufacturers and what we're seeing is that in some cases dealers are starting to change over portions of their um, showrooms specifically for electric vehicles that are coming um, I think the more important thing and the more costly thing for these dealers is that they need to um, figure out ways to service those vehicles. And that has been a major sticking point for Tesla, um, which does not have any franchise dealers and has um, some centralized service capabilities that have, to this point, largely been a, a bit of an Achilles heel for it from an, or, from an organizational standpoint. Um, dealers help promote brand loyalty. Dealers help... Um, consumers um, make their next vehicle decision. If you've had a good experience at the dealer um, with your new vehicle, you're more likely to rebuy within that brand. If you've had a bad one, then you're likely to shop elsewhere. So, um, so the EV world is going to, to have a dramatic impact um, on those dealers and, and where 
their capital gets um, gets put. For the better part of the last 20 years, a lot of the dealer capital would have been put back into the showroom. Now that that is going to need to go towards the parking service, the the back um, the back office functions, if you will, of a uh, of a dealer uh, from a, a vehicle service perspective. So. Over the past year, I've heard you talk a lot about companies permanently reducing costs and accelerating changes as a result of the pandemic. And a lot of the businesses you own obviously benefited. Um, can you give us an update on those trends and how durable are they? Sure. So a year ago, um, we were coming out of uh, an April and May period where effectively zero vehicles were produced in the U.S. Everything was shut down and... Um, workers were furloughed, factories were, were shut, and um, it was a very, very dark and difficult time for an industry that um, I guess fortunately had already been through the trauma of the General Motors uh, and Chrysler bankruptcies in 2008 and 2009. So there was, there was already some restructuring and some, some leaning out that had taken place, and they were better prepared to, to take a great deal of, of, of cost out. Um, unfortunately, most of that was on, on the, the human capital side. Um, what's hap- what happened in the, uh, the months that followed is that um, as vehicle production um, came back online, the types of vehicles being sold were um, the highest mix, the highest content vehicles that, um, that the automakers could make. So very expensive cars and trucks. Uh, that allowed them to bring back workers um, in an appropriate, uh, in appropriate way, where they're, generally speaking, um, just about as well staffed as, as they have been in the past. I think some of the things that have transpired in the interim, um, through stimulus measures, have, have created some labor volatility as it relates to keeping workers, which which has been uh, an issue that's been raised on second quarter conference calls. Um, but by and large, um, a lot of those costs have come back, and unfortunately. With those costs have come um, the inflationary pressures from uh, raw materials, from uh, logistics issues as it's related to shipments from China, and the overarching issue of the chip shortage that has uh, really impacted uh, like vehicle production uh, for the, the better part of the last five months. So talking about change in the industry, do you see the pace of financial engineering and M&A activity picking up, which would be a tailwind for the way that Gamco Value invests? Yeah, I think that, that um, we've seen that over the course of the last five months. Um, and I, and I, it's something that I, I expect um, will become a, a dominant investor theme for uh, the course of the next several years. Um, we've got some really interesting dynamics as it relates to new entrants into the industry, uh, whether it is on the electric vehicle side, whether it is active safety, whether it is participants that take place within auto retailing um, that are attempting to disrupt how cars are, are bought and sold. And so we've seen um, we've seen financial engineering, first of all, through SPACs um, within the industry uh, as a, uh, a way to take public um, companies in a cost-efficient manner. That's had a major impact within, within the automotive industry. But we've also seen legacy automotive um, manufacturers, suppliers, and participants look to acquisition as a way to grow within areas like the electric vehicle space. And um, 
what's what's happened is that you have a number of companies um, like companies like like Dana, which is out of Maumee, Ohio, that are able to effectively transform who they are in real time, uh, growing within the electric vehicle space, the electric mobility space, while at the same time having their legacy internal combustion engine businesses provide the cash flow to help them grow on the other side. Um, so so there's this symbiotic relationship between um, the internal combustion engine portion and, and the growing electric vehicle piece, which I think is really exciting. Um, we're seeing it in active safety. We now have a somewhat of a bidding war between um, Magna and uh, Qualcomm for Vianeer, which was spun out of Autoleave a few years ago. Um, the German supplier Hella is, is um, allegedly up for sale. So that there's there's a lot going on um, within the space from an M&A perspective that's really exciting. And again, you mentioned how we invest, where we're looking at private market value, which is the, the value that a an informed industrialist would pay in an arm's length transaction for um, for a company, and and so we see these um, we see these areas where the puck is is going, so to speak, and I think we're well positioned in in a number of those areas as we move forward uh, towards this electric future. And do you think battery technology is really driving companies to um, to to look for more M and A opportunities? Absolutely, I think the battery is the one area that uh, where automakers are looking to, to derive the most value. One, it's going to be the most expensive portion of, of the vehicle. And, and uh, so anytime that you can take out costs and improve battery efficiency there, that's going to naturally add to the margin that you're going to be able to, um, um, to get from a vehicle. At the same time, too, from a performance standpoint, if you're really looking to differentiate uh, on, from an electric car perspective, the amount of miles that you're getting from that battery, the amount of, uh, or how fast it takes to charge that battery, those are all factors that are that are really going to matter to the, to the consumer. Um, as it relates to the suppliers, which is really where we do most of our um, our investment work, they're looking to develop technologies to help those automakers increase vehicle density, increase the, the, the amount of power that they're able to get from, from their batteries, increase or increase the, the capabilities as it relates to um, charging those vehicles, keep those batteries cool, battery thermal technology, and I've got a call in 20 minutes with, with a company that's um, able to uh, take some of the technology that they've used in um, heating seats and cooling seats and apply that to thermal technologies for batteries. It's, re it's a really exciting time to see these crossover technologies. So um, it is a um, it is an area, um, going back to your original question, where um, we see the battery as really the kind of the focal point of investment uh, for both the, the suppliers and, and the automakers uh, alike. So thinking back pre-pandemic, um, we did see shares of industrial-related companies challenged by a number of non-COVID-related issues. And this resulted in dislocation between price and what we view as their private market value. Um, an example would be in early 2020, the trade brinksmanship between the US and other nations, most notably China, um, drove investor uncertainty for supply chains. So what is the state of the supply chain today for US auto industry? And what potential offsets do you see in the future? Right now, 
I would call the supply chain fragile. Um, there are a couple of competing factors that are causing serious disruptions on a global level within the auto industry. Um, from a logistics standpoint, uh, shipments from China uh, have been an issue for some time, and the pandemic has only exacerbated that. And for an industry that runs effectively what's known as just-in-time manufacturing, where parts come in the door uh, on one side of the, of the factory and then are moved within an hour into the, um, uh, into the line, uh, when you combine the logistics issues and the lack of predictability there with um, the chip issue that has uh, affected predominantly the, the auto industry, but consumer electronics and a host of other uh, industries, when there's a lack of predictability within, um, within an automaker's production board, it causes disruption entire, through the entirety of the tens of thousands of suppliers that, that, that provide parts for the auto industry. So it's been a very challenging period, and you have pockets where um, there's this accordion effect where um, their plant can have no parts um, that it needs, no critical parts that it needs, and then a shipment arrives, and so production is sped up, and a bunch of vehicles are made that day, and then they run out. And now the, the next time, you know, one set of parts comes in, the supplier needs to air freight, um, you know, their, their bearings and widgets into that, that um, and that air freight costs a fortune. So there's cost pressures put onto the suppliers. And so it, it's, it's a very fragile time. I think um, the next obvious question is when does it end? Um, I would say um, sometime by the middle of next year, we should have a better handle on, um, on chips and the, the, the very costly um, avenue for the, the, the chip industry is to make semifab uh, plants in the U.S. so this, this doesn't quite happen again. But that's, um, again, several years from being a reality as it relates to the supply chain. So, so it's, a, it's a major issue right now and, and the one that most uh, managements are contending with. So as we move to a greener future, uh, any supply chain risk in t today's current climate? Right now, it's very easy to supply the electric vehicle industry because you're making small baskets of, of vehicles that, that are low volume. Anytime you get into um, you know, th thousands of vehicles, becoming hundreds of thousands of vehicles, becoming millions uh, of vehicles, uh, this, is, this will be an unprecedented change. And so I expect there to be what I'd call a nonlinear progression to um, efficiency within within production. And by definition, electric vehicle launches are some going to be similar to um, internal combustion engine launches. There are always issues with vehicle launches. And so um, it's going to be a, a major challenge for the automakers to have a smooth uh, transition um, to a, we'll call it a greener future, but, but a, uh, an electric future. So the infrastructure bill, uh, will this help or hurt the auto industry? Any changes you foresee? Well, there was a, um, a good amount, um, I believe it was $55 billion um, for, uh, I'm sorry, for five, don't quote me on the, on the number because it just happened as I was, I was coming down here, but um, the amount 
that was slated for um, EV infrastructure is is incredible and it's needed because it's a chicken or egg problem um, as it relates to um, consumer adoption of vehicles and something like 50% of US households don't have garages so charging at home is not something that that they're able to do so fast chargers DC chargers um, AC chargers at uh, areas like uh, grocery stores and restaurants, these are all going to be major, major, major issue or ma- major positives as it relates to uh, electric vehicle adoption uh, over the course of the next decade. And, you know, that's what we're really talking about here. So um, the infrastructure bill is a positive. I think you're seeing it in a, a number of the, the charging uh, station stocks today. And um, one that one that's really needed if, if we are going to get, as President Biden wants, 8 million vehicles by 2030 uh, sold per year that are EVs. Mm-hmm. So given everything we've talked about today, a positive long-term view of EV, a robust M&A environment, and transformational trends uh, during the pandemic that could remain durable today, can you share with us some of your favorite stocks? Sure. Um, starting in the auto supplier space, I mentioned uh, Dana. Dana is a Maumee, Ohio-based producer of driveline and um, transmissions products. uh, Transmission products, and it is best known for providing every axle of every Jeep Wrangler that has been built since World War II. Um, The company's made a number of acquisitions within um, the electric vehicle space, predominantly on the commercial truck and off-highway side, and. they have a, a clear path to about $500 million in, uh, in revenue uh, within the electric vehicle space within a, the next few years. Uh, putting a relatively conservative revenue multiple on what uh, on, on those, uh, uh, those electric vehicle revenues uh, gets you to about $2 billion in value for a company that's uh, about a $3.3 billion um, enterprise value, you're basically getting the, the rest of the business for about two times EBITDA, which is very attractive in our view. Um, outside of, of, of Dana, um, there are areas within, I won't say the, the electric vehicle space, because it's not just the electric vehicle space, but, but within the auto retail space, companies like um, AutoNation, which is the largest uh, dealership group within the U.S. with over 320 um, dealerships, uh, they are utilizing the cash flow from their core business to grow out their capabilities within um, what's, no, what's known as the pre-owned space. So they're, they're called AutoNation USA stores, smaller footprint. Um, those won't necessarily be just for electric vehicles per se, um, but the, the used vehicle market and the transformations taking place within the used vehicle market as, as consumers change how they purchase vehicles um, will help drive that transformation that I talked about before about the cash that's going to be needed to change over the parts and service of, of their, their new franchises. And so um, the, the positive benefits from this, this, um, um, this flywheel um, that, uh, that they'll generate from these used vehicle stores is going to be considerable. So um, those are two. Um, it's a really exciting time. There's a lot of change that's taking place. Um, and uh, it's going to be really interesting, Terry, to see what happens to those 
suppliers that um, are left uh, with what I'll call a, um, a melting ice cube, an internal combustion engine cube, uh, without electric vehicle capabilities and what that's going to look like five or six years from now. So, you know, we, we have a, our eye on quite a bit, um, both the, the new and the, uh, the legacy. Well, thank you, Brian. And thank you all for listening to Gabelli Media, and we look forward to you joining us for our next podcast. Thank you for having me. Several companies were mentioned in this episode. For the following, we have less than 1%. These include Tesla Inc., TSLA, Ford Motor Company, ticker F, Toyota Motor Corporation, ticker TM, General Motors Company, ticker GM, Chrysler, Stellantis, STLA subsidiary, Magna International, ticker MGA, Qualcomm, ticker QCOM, Autolive Incorporated, ticker ALV, Hella GmbH and Company, KGAA, ticker HLE, Jeep Astlantis, STLA subsidiary, AutoNation Incorporated, ticker AN, and Vioneer Incorporated, ticker VNE. Additionally, Dana, ticker DAN, was mentioned, for which we own 3.9%. Additionally, one of our affiliates serves as an investment advisor to Dana or affiliated entities and has received compensation within the past 12 months for these non-investment banking securities related services.